well. Good morning, church. Trust that you're well. And uh, I'm so pleased to be able to share God's word with you again this week. And I pray that by the end of this message, you would be strengthened in your inner man, that you would be filled with the word of God, and you would sense the power of his spirit to live your life and go forward into the great future that God has for you. Now, as I begin this message this morning, I just want to pick up on some things that I've been speaking about over the last two weeks in particular. Uh, Two weeks ago, we began by asking a question, an important question for all of us to consider, and it was this, who is the one person in your life that speaks to you more than anybody else? Who is that one person? And I suggested a number of answers. Sometimes in answer to that question, we could say, well, the one person in my life that speaks to me more than anybody else is my wife. Some may say it's my husband. Others would say it's my colleagues at work. Others would even say it's my friends at school or uni, family members, people that are round about us, people that surround us every day. We would look to those people and we would think that they are the influence and the voice and the shaping factor in our lives. But when we dig a little bit deeper, the answer becomes really apparent and self-evident. The one person that speaks to you more than anybody else is you. Now that answer is really important. And it's, it's important for this reason. Because when you really think about it, you and I are in a continual conversation with ourselves on a daily basis. Moment by moment, you are communicating to yourself. You listen to yourself more than anybody else. Now that doesn't mean to say that you only listen to yourself. There are other great voices, other great influences in your life that shape you and lead you and guide you. But predominantly the main voice, the main influence in your life is you because you speak to yourself on a continual basis. Now, the reason why the answer to the question is so important. It's because, of, it's because of this reason. Because if you are the one person that speaks to you more than anybody else, shouldn't you be examining the content of the conversation that you have with yourself on a continual basis? Now, if you look back over your life, you will see very clearly that some of the conversations that you've had with yourself may not have been that good. The content of the conversation that you have with yourself on a continual basis sometimes can be very damning. It can be, it can be very, very depressing. And that's why as, as people, especially as God's people, we have to continually examine the conversation that we have with ourselves on a continual basis because if it doesn't line up with God's word, if it doesn't line up with what God has spoken over your life, you have a right and a duty in God to correct it. 
You have a right and the the power and the strength and the life of the Holy Spirit within you to refute it. Anything that doesn't line up with God's word, whether it's a voice from without or whether it's that voice from within, if it doesn't line up with God's word for your life, if it doesn't line up with God's purpose and God's plan, you have a right to contend with it, refute it, correct it, and bring it into line and actually silence it. We looked at that wonderful quote from Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones where he said, do you realize that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you're listening to yourself instead of speaking to yourself? I think as God's people, I think as the church of God, we need to begin to speak to ourselves instead of listening to self. You know, self can be very condescending self the flesh that that old life that we once had that we once gave into it can be very very strong and condemning and it can try to rise up and influence us to to come under its grip and under its power again but like Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said we don't need to listen to ourselves anymore we need to stand up with God's word and speak to self and put it in its place Jesus by the power of his Holy Spirit has given you all authority to do that in your life. I tell you, when we begin to do that, our lives will change. Our lives will be transformed. Do you know the wonderful thing about God's people is that, you know, the most eminent characteristic of a believer should be joy. It should be freedom. It should be light. It should be life. Very often, because we listen to self instead of speak to self and put it in in its place, we become suppressed and depressed and downcast. And that's what we looked at last week. We looked at Psalm 42, where David was in a desperate place. And we went through that psalm and we saw how through that psalm, David was really struggling in life. He begins and opens the psalm in great despair. He pictures his life like an exhausted deer struggling to survive. And then over 10 verses, now there's only 11 verses in the psalm, but over 11 verses in Psalm 42, David has an intimate conversation with himself and that conversation is introspective and you can see as it's moving and as it's progressing this conversation and building it's begin to, beginning to spiral down and it it's not a fruitful conversation and i'm so thankful that we have psalm 42 because we can see in david our own tendencies to speak to ourselves in this way in a negative manner in a way that spirals down, in a way that is fruitless, in a way that's despairing and depressive. In that psalm we saw over 10 verses, there are 40 personal pronouns that are very negative that David uses about himself that are introspective. But then finally, in verse 
11, David turns on self. David, instead of listening to self, instead of being under the power and under the grip of oppressive self, he turns on self and he speaks to himself. And this is where a wonderful victory takes place in David's life because he commands self now to be quiet and to hope in God. And he says this, you can read it in verse 11. He talks about yet praising God. That's his hope. You see, he begins to realign his mind, realign his life, realign his expectations. Instead of listening to this despairing voice that's causing him to be downcast and disquieted within himself, that's, that's picturing his life like a languishing deer, that's thirsty, exhausted, and being hunted and without strength. Now he, he turns on self and he puts self in its place and he says, now hoping God. Next he says, you're going to praise God. And then suddenly he says this, which is wonderful. He says, God, you're going to be the, the health, the help, and the strength of my countenance. His countenance was going to change. His countenance was now going to reflect the inner hope that he had within God. His countenance, his outer countenance had become sullen. His outer, outer countenance had become disquieted and downcast. He wasn't pleasant to look at. But as he renewed his hope in God, as he contended with that inner voice that tried to depress him and spiral him down, his countenance now had this revived hope on it. His countenance now would be strengthened by God and would have the health of God all over it. Listen, when you and I deal with that inner voice and when we, when we refuse to allow it to have power and influence in our lives. I tell you, and we place our hope in God, our outer countenance will reflect the hope that we have in God. It will be transformational. You, you and I will be a joy to look at. We really will. Because our outer countenance will be an inner reflection of that inner health of hope that we have within God. And David sees this wonderful transformation as he brings correction to his life. You see, God does not want our outer countenance to resemble or mirror a languishing deer. God gets no glory from your life taking on the imagery of a deer being hunted, of a deer being parched and thirsty for water, or fatigued, or scrambling to survive, trying to get renewed health. God, God gets no glory from that. He wants us to be strong. He wants our countenance to be healthy, joyful, and confident. He really does. And God did not want David to be in this place in Psalm 42. God didn't tell David to, to, um, 
to talk about his life in this way. God didn't tell, tell David to use this imagery of, of, a, of a weak deer being hunted and chased and hounded. No, on other occasions, and we looked at this, God gave David wonderful revelation of his security, wonderful revelation of his position in him. David, on other occasions, says, the Lord is my refuge and strength, a strong tower. I can run into him anytime. David was the man that had wonderful revelation from God. David knew a rock that was higher than him that he had been led to. No, this imagery of a deer panting and languishing and running away from the cares of life. That's not the revelation that God gave to David. That's, that's this inner voice, this inner turmoil that was happening within this man as this inner voice, this inner conversation really took the reins of his life. But when he put it in order, when he corrected it, when he refused to sit under it and listen to it, suddenly his life began to change. You know, I thought about this when I was reading this psalm. We have sung songs that has praised David's thirst for God like the deer. We've, we've sung songs about it. There's many songs and many references almost praising David for his thirst for God like a deer. But this wasn't a praiseworthy moment in David's life. David was depressed. David was disquieted. David didn't want to be in this position. And God wasn't getting any glory from David's life because his countenance was sullen. God wanted David to take charge of his life. God wanted David to take the reins back off self and bring correction. And that's what he did in verse 11 when he said, Hoping God... Soul, stop being disquieted. Stop being downcast. I'm taking the reins back off you and I'm going to direct my hope. I'm going to direct my focus back on God. And my hope's going to be there. You know, Jesus does not want any of us to be like that exhausted, parched deer struggling for strength, running, feeling abandoned by God. God doesn't, Jesus doesn't want any of us to be like that parched deer. And nowhere in the New Testament is imagery used like that for the believer in Christ. Instead, the picture and the image that Jesus gives us of the believer in him is one that is fully provided for. And I, I uh, think I, re I referenced this verse uh, last week from John chapter 10, verse 10. But I'm going to say it again. John 10, verse 10 says this. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. 
Hallelujah. More abundantly. Jesus has come. Not so that we can, you know, languish in life and try to get by and struggle on through. And, and just be like that deer that, that's running and abandoned and not knowing what's going to happen next. No, Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and life more abundantly. That word abundantly means higher in quality, more in quantity. Just imagine that. Jesus wants to give you life on the inside and, and the very life of God on the inside of your life that will give you strength in your inner man to contend with that voice of self and put it in its place. That voice of self will never lead you to abundant life. But Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and life more abundantly. A life that's higher in quantity and richer in quality. That's what he wants. That's why he laid down his life and gave it for us. It really is. Also, Jesus acknowledged that people get thirsty. Jesus acknowledged that people outside of him are seeking life in many, many ways and are unfulfilled with what they find. So he acknowledged that people are thirsty, but he promises rivers of living water to all that would come to him, to all that would receive Jesus as Savior, Jesus said, I will give you rivers of living water flowing from your innermost being. Look at John chapter 7 with me from verse 37 to verse 39. It says this, on the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And this, uh, but this he spoke concerning the spirit whom those believing in him would receive for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Can you see the imagery of the New Testament uh, life that Jesus promises, the new covenant life that Jesus promises? It's not like a languishing deer uh, thirsting for God. No, there's nothing praiseworthy in that. No, the, the New Testament life of the believer, the provision is magnificent. Jesus said, not only will you have abundant life, I will give you rivers of living water and these rivers will come out of your innermost being. He's using imagery. He's using a picture of abundance. He's using a, a, a picture of a never-ending abundance continually at our, our disposal to refresh us and bless us and even to refresh and bless others around us. That's the picture of the New Testament believer in Christ. And I'm so glad at the end of Psalm 42, David takes a hold of himself and he places his hope in God. The psalm begins with great despair. 
but it ends in a fantastic testimony as a man decides to really anchor again his hope, his praise, and his countenance in the God that loved him and the God who gave him all of his blessings in his life. Now, you know, when you look through God's word, you see that many people struggled with this inner conversation with themselves. They struggled to examine the content of the conversation that continually went on within themselves, greatly limiting themselves sometimes and putting a ceiling on their lives. I was just thinking about this, and I was thinking about Moses, firstly. You know, in Exodus chapter 3, God comes to Moses, and Moses had been a shepherd in the wilderness for 40 years. He'd been kicked out of Egypt, or he'd run from Egypt, and for the next 40 years of his life, he spent hidden in the wilderness. He was ashamed. He was downcast, we could say. This man was at the, his lowest moment in life when God appeared to him. And suddenly God turns up one day in, in a fiery bush and he manifests and he speaks to Moses. And he tells Moses of the wonderful plan and purpose that he has for his life. He wanted Moses to go back to Egypt to free his people. What does Moses say in response to God's word over his life? Well, we got to remember that Moses had been beating himself up for 40 years. So he turns around to God and he says, who am I? Who am I? You see, that's the outcome of a conversation, a 40-year conversation that Moses had been having with himself in that barren, dark wilderness that he had been hidden away in. He, was, he felt that he was an absolute loser. He felt that he could never do what God had called him to do. He felt completely abandoned, alone, and unusable. But God didn't respond to who Moses was. God had to get Moses' eyes off himself. And he had to turn Moses' attention and attitude onto him. So God responded to Moses' who, who am I with I am that I am. Listen, Moses, let's not look at you. Let's not talk about you. Let's not have a conversation about the last 40 years in relation to what's been happening in this wilderness and your life. Let's focus on me, Moses. I am who I am is sending you. And you know what? Moses struggled to accept it for a while, but God would have none of it. God had chosen Moses, and suddenly when Moses got it, Moses went back into Egypt with the authority of God. Moses went back into Egypt fearless. He went back into Egypt, a new man transformed to take the people of Israel out of their captivity and slavery. He led them through the sea, and then he continually led them as a great leader for the next 40 years in that wilderness. You know, wonderful things can happen when we allow God 
to change the content of the conversation that we have with ourselves on a continual basis. Amazing things can take place. We've got to examine that content of the conversation that we have within, within ourselves on a continual basis. And I tell you, if it doesn't line up with God's word, ask the Holy Spirit to empower you, to strengthen you, to deal with that giant, to deal with that voice of guilt, to deal with that voice of the past, to deal with that voice that wants you to lie down and give up. Stand up to that giant and defeat it in Jesus' name with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, it's amazing what God can do in our lives when we allow Him to deal with that inner conversation. Think about it. There's, there's others in the Word of God that, that had to deal with this inner conversation, this poor condition, this, this impoverished identity that they had, this self-image this wrong self-image that had been built up from this inner conversation that they'd had with themselves time and time again. Gideon, when the angel came to Gideon, he was in a wine press threshing wheat. The Midianites had been, um, you can read about it in Judges, the Midianites had been ravaging the land for seven years and there was no hope. So one day, the angel of the Lord just suddenly shows up. Gideon wasn't praying. Gideon had no high hopes, no great expectation. He just thought they had been abandoned. He thought that God didn't do any miracles. He'd heard about the miracles that had happened with his forefathers, but he thought that they had long gone, that God wasn't, you know, doing any more miracles in the, in the, in the today. Suddenly the angel of the Lord turns up and begins to speak things over Gideon that troubled him. He turns up and he says, mighty man of valor. That was the greeting of the angel of God to Gideon. Gideon is troubled by it. And then he begins to hear about the plan that God has to use him to deliver God's people and to overcome the Midianites. What does Gideon say? He says, he just repeats a conversation that he had been having with himself for a very long time. And we hear the content of that conversation as he speaks back to the angel. He says, I'm, I'm the least in my family. And furthermore, my family is the least in the nation. These were a people that, that had no great reputation. They were the lowest of the low. And Gideon was the least of the least. And that qualified him in the eyes of God. But Gideon had been having a conversation. Somebody had spoke that into Gideon's life. Whether it was his family and his, his mum and dad, his brothers and sisters, or whether it was voices beyond his own home. They'd belittled 
that family and they had belittled Gideon. I'm the least, he says. And he repeats this in a conversation that he had been having with himself, rehearsing within himself for a very long time. But you know what? The amazing thing was after a number of signs and tests that Gideon asked God to fulfill, when he finally allowed God into the content of that conversation, when he finally allowed the word of God to bring correction to all of the things that he'd said about himself and others had said about himself, wonderful deliverance came for God's people. It's amazing what God can do. It's amazing the transformation and the changes that can take place in your life and in my life when we simply address that inner conversation that we have with ourselves on a continual basis, especially when we deal with it, with the word of God, and we replace God's word for our own word. We replace God's thoughts for those lowly, disquieted, depressive thoughts that we very often have about our own lives. Job is another case in point. Do you know Job actually said, I am a worm? He got to such a lowly place in his life he was suffering and undergoing tremendous trials. And he even cursed the day that he was born. I mean, that's a real serious situation and frame of mind to be in. Calling yourself a worm. Cursing the day that you were born and wishing that you had never been born. That's an awful place to be at, but that's where Job was. But you know, as, he, as, as God worked on Job and, and as God lovingly and tenderly corrected Job and brought realignment to his will and to his purpose and to his word, do you know what? That conversation within Job, that content of that conversation changed. It really did to the point that Job got far, far more than what he lost. Everything was restored to him. But it only happened as that conversation changed and as God was allowed to come in and change that man's life. Isaiah said, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. He saw the very glory of God in the temple. And that's all he could say in response to God and in response to his life. Now, I tell you, I understand why Isaiah said that in, in you know, reflection of seeing God in all of his glory. But God didn't put that into Isaiah. That was in Isaiah Isaiah had a pitiful understanding of who he was in the sight of God, like we often do. But God amended that conversation. The angel came and he took a fiery coal from the altar of God and he pressed it on Isaiah's lips. And no longer 
Was Isaiah an unclean man? No longer did Isaiah have to say, woe is me. Why? Because the fire of God's love touched his life and brought correction. And he became a wonderful prophet in the nation. It's amazing what God can do in our lives when we allow him to correct this conversation. And when we stand up to self as well and bring correction to it. God gets no glory. God gets no glory from our lives being downcast. God gets no glory from our lives being disquieted. Now that's not to say that you know, we won't go through troubles in life. That's not to say that we won't go through trials. And, and we're certainly not saying that, you know, we have to have this plastic smile and never let anybody in to the pains within our emotions. No, we are. We are frail and we are subject to many feelings and many emotions. But you know, the emphasis of the New Testament is that we have a life in Christ that enables us to be buoyant and strong at a place of peace, at a place of unaffected rest, even in the midst of dire circumstances. How is it that two men in prison, Paul and Silas, having their, whip, having their backs whipped open and beaten within inches of their life. How is it that in the midnight hour, in the innermost dungeon, could be singing songs of praise to God? They should have been talking really like David was talking in Psalm 42. As the deer pants for water, so our souls long for you. No, that's not what we find. We find Paul and Silas in such a strong place, in such a, in such a wonderful uh, position in God. They're in their cells. Their backs have been whipped. They're in great pain, but they're singing praise to God like David was in Psalm 42 verse 11. They were putting their hope in God. They weren't despairing. They weren't disquieted within themselves. They were in that inner dungeon and the life of God was in their hearts, in their spirits, and they were singing praise to God. And suddenly the power of God shook that place, an earthquake rattled that place and all the chains fell off and the doors were open and wonderful deliverance was affected because of the faith of those men. But those men weren't drowning in their sorrows amidst awful circumstances. Those men weren't disquieted or suppressed or depressed as a result of the awful trials that they were going through. No, they were triumphant. They were triumphant. They were strong. They were joyful. They were at a place of peace and rest. And God brought great deliverance. You see, even when we go through difficult times, even when we struggle, we can have a joy within ourselves. Now, I don't know how it works. I don't know how it works. But you know what? Everything can be kicking off around you. You can, be, you can, you can feel 
that as if everything's closing in around you and you can be in a perfect place of peace. In fact, Isaiah said this, he whose mind is stayed on Jehovah is kept in perfect peace. Kept in perfect peace. Now God has provided a great life for us in this wonderful new covenant that we have been given in Christ Jesus. Listen to what Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1, uh, verse 2 to 4. He's talking about the provision that we have been given. Here we go, verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. His divine power has given you and I everything that pertains to life and godliness. Can you see how the picture has changed? It's a picture of wonderful provision. You've been given everything that pertains to life. There is not a life situation that you will ever have, not have the provisions for. There is not a life situation that you will never, that you will not have the uh, life provisions for. You've been given everything in Christ for life and godliness through your knowledge in him. You've been given, and I've been given, exceedingly great and precious promises. And through these, you and I become the partakers of the divine nature. Paul, on another occasion, said, we're more than conquerors through Christ who strengthens us. So the next time you think about your life, don't picture it like David did in Psalm 42. Like a deer, panting for water. Your soul longing for God, thirsting for God in such a manner. No, there's rivers of living water in you and I. There's rivers of living water. Because the Holy Spirit has been given now and we've received him. And we've been baptized by him. And we live in him. You have abundant life. And you have everything that pertains to life and godliness through Christ Jesus. Now finally today, just in these closing moments that we have together, I want us to look at Romans chapter 7. Because Romans chapter 7 is much like Psalm 42. And we're going to look at this in the closing moments of today's service and then on into next week we're going to be looking at the at Romans chapter 7 and how it relates to Romans chapter 8 which is an incredible chapter and maybe over this next week why don't you read Romans chapter 7 and, and Romans chapter 8 a few times and just encourage yourself in them but Romans chapter 7 is much like Psalm 42. 
David in Psalm 42 is having a conversation with himself. And we saw that over 10 verses. And in the 11th verse, he sees great deliverance and transformation in his life because his perspective changes. He places his hope in God. But like Psalm 42, in Romans 7, Paul, the apostle, is having a conversation with himself. And it's a conversation that he had with himself before he found Christ. So he wasn't a believer. He was a very religious man. And he's reminiscing over his life in Romans 7 and the contention that was happening within him and the conversation was so unproductive within him that he was having within himself in Romans 7. And we, we see this and we hear it as we read about it. As he gives it to us, Paul in Romans chapter 7, like David was in Psalm 42, is immersed in himself. He's at a crisis point in his life. And there's a huge war that's occurring, that's rumbling in the soul of Paul in Romans chapter 7. And we see it and we hear about it as we read it. Again, like Psalm 42, Romans chapter 7 is full of personal pronouns, negative personal po pronouns that Paul makes about himself. All consisting of I, me, and my. And they occur over 40 times, just like Psalm 42. And there's over 20 references to the law and to the commandments of God. Everything is keeping this man down. And we hear about and we listen to this conversation that Paul has with himself in Romans chapter 7. And it's a damning one. Let's listen for a moment to the content of the conversation that Paul is having with himself in Romans 7. He's trying to fulfill the law, the commandments of God, through his own strength outside of Jesus' finished work on the cross, which is completely futile. Romans chapter 7, verse 18 to verse 25 says this, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that is evil. I find then that I find then a law that evil is present with me. The one who wills to do good, for I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into 
captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then, with the mind I myself serve the Lord of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Now you can read Romans chapter 7 and you can hear that Paul is referring to a period of his life that was tremendously difficult. He was a very religious man. He followed the law and he was strict in, in, in trying to adhere to it. But he, he began to see that this law awoke sin within him and he's having a conversation about that and you can hear all of the distress and all of the the pent-up stress within his life over this period when he was trying to do this outside of Christ he was broken down and defeated he was exhausted like that deer panting for God, thirsty, not knowing where to go, not knowing how to find fulfillment, not knowing where to turn. And Romans chapter 7 is a desperate, a desperate cry from a man that was trying to be spiritual and trying his best to be moral. But he fails because Romans chapter 7 is all about self-effort, self-strength, introspection, and self-examination. You see, the law that Paul was so dearly in love with, the law that Paul so dearly tried to keep and hold on to, was actually revealing his sin reviving his sin and what the law revealed and what the law revived it had no power to release him from so the more he tried to fulfill the law the more sin was revealed the more the power of sin was revived and he talks about that in what we have just read and he gets to an awful place in his life and at the end, just like David, at the end of the chapter, he cries out this confession of abandonment. Oh, wretched man that I am. You see, the law, the law of God, the Ten Commandments and all of the other laws could only confirm that Paul was a wretched man. And that's why it was given. And Paul on another occasion talks about the, school, the, the, the law being a schoolmaster to actually bring us to the feet of Christ, our Savior. After that heart-rending confession that Paul makes about being a wretched man, he then asks the question in the, in the same breath, who, he says, who will deliver me from this body of death? And we'll look a little at this next week. But this is a wonderful transformation point. 
Because the moment that he asks the question, who will deliver me from this body of death? Who's going to deliver me from this power of sin that's working within my members that the law reveals, that the law revives, that the law can't rescue me from? Who's going to do it? Is there anybody that can, that, that can save me from this awful power? I stand as a condemned man by the law. Who is there that can do this? And suddenly he gets a revelation of Jesus Christ right at the end of this chapter. Suddenly Jesus is introduced to his life as the Savior, the Redeemer, the Rescuer, not the one that, that reveals sin, not the one that revives sin, but the one that redeems us from its power and rescues us from its hold. He says, I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. There's the answer to the question that Paul poses to the heavens. Who will deliver me? The answer comes back. Oh, thanks be to God. It's Jesus Christ who rescues me from the power of sin within me that's con that the law condemns. And then suddenly he goes into Romans 8. And Romans 8 now is not filled with all of these personal pronouns that we find in Romans 7. No, there's no personal references to Paul in Romans 8. Paul now stands as a spirit-led man and he opens that wonderful chapter and he starts it by saying this, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 7 is full of condemnation. Why? Because Romans chapter 7 is full of a man that's trying to fulfill the law through his own strength outside of the saving power of Christ Jesus. Romans 8, he walks in transformed by the saving grace of Jesus. Suddenly now he's freed from the law because Jesus has fulfilled the law for him and he's in Christ and now suddenly he doesn't stand as a condemned man. There is no condemnation, he says. He stands as a redeemed man. I wonder, I wonder if Paul's conversation about his life changed when he got that revelation. Of course it did. Of course it did. Paul, Paul opening his life to Jesus saw wonderful change, wonderful transformation, wonderful, wonderful purpose and plan fulfilled for him in God because God was allowed to shower his grace, shower his love, shower his life and fill him with his spirit. And Paul, through Romans 8 now, is being led by the spirit of God. And we'll begin to see through Romans 8 next week, all of the wonderful things that took place in Paul's life and in so many other people's lives as a result of just allowing Jesus to be the Savior, Jesus to be the Redeemer. Well, I trust that you've been encouraged this morning, church. Listen, let's continually examine 
the content, the conversation that we're having with ourselves on a moment-by-moment basis. Let the Word of God, listen, dwell within you richly. Let it dwell within you richly. Let it admonish you. Let it admonish you. Let it teach you. Let it correct you. Let it instruct you. Let it put self in its place. And let's remember that we don't want to be listening to that old voice of self. Like Paul said, there is no good thing in our flesh, but we do not live in that life of flesh anymore. We crucified the flesh in Christ Jesus. Paul came to this place in his life, and this is an amazing place to come to in your life. He said, it's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. Hallelujah. And that's where we want to be. No longer I that live. Let's not let self be the predominant voice in our life because it's, it's, it's words over us will not be good. Let's let Christ be the voice, the leader, the savior, the deliverer, the sanctifier, the word made flesh in our lives so that he can lead us into all of the wonderful blessings of the future that God has planned for us. Amen. Well, I better stop right now because I'm just going to continue on if I don't. But I'm going to pray right now. And listen, through this week, take time to receive communion. Break bread, drink some juice, and remember that Jesus Christ died for you. And Jesus Christ has risen again for you. And that Jesus Christ is going to return. He says, do this in remembrance of me. Until I come. My God, he's coming back. He is coming back. The clouds are going to split one day. The skies are going to split. And Jesus is going to come. And sort our world out. And bring in his kingdom for all eternity. Break bread this week. Break bread. And thank God for the provisions, the promises, the exceedingly great and precious promises that have been spoken to you. Let them dwell within you richly. Why? Because God wants you and I to be rich, to be rich in his promise, rich in his covenant, rich in his provision. Okay, I'm going to pray. Today, you may be watching and you may never have asked Jesus into your heart. There may be some things that I spoke about today and you may not have understood them. And I understand that. But you know, let me tell you, Jesus loves you so much. He really does. He loves you. He knows everything about you. And it may be hard to understand. Your idea of Jesus may be a statue on a cross, hanging and looking disheveled and looking abandoned. Yes, he was abandoned. And he suffered in a way that's completely unimaginable. But he, he suffered and died for you and I so that we could have a wonderful new life and a relationship with the Father in heaven. Not to make us religious, but to make us God's children. I'm going to pray right now. And why don't you pray this prayer with me if you've never asked Jesus into your heart? 
You say, but Dave, I'm, I'm in my home. I thought I had to go to a religious building to do that or sit in a confessional with a priest. No. Do you know what? Jesus many times went into people's homes and they received him and he brought God's blessing in their lives. You can pray right now quietly in your heart and I'm telling you, the peace of God will come into your heart. You don't have to be religious. Throw all of that stuff away. Just receive his love. You say, well, what have I got to do to be a Christian? Just believe. Just believe. There's no rule book. Just believe. And Jesus will come and live on the inside. You'll find the peace that you've been looking for. You'll find the life that you have been searching for all in him. I'm going to pray. Pray this with me. Say this, Lord Jesus, I believe that you died for me. Thank you for forgiving me all of my sin. I want to accept that today. I want to receive you as my savior into my heart. Thank you for dying. I believe that you rose from the dead and that you are alive. And I want to be your child and I want to know God as my father. And I want to know the presence of your Holy Spirit in my heart, in my life, in my home. I ask for this now. Amen. Listen, if you prayed that prayer right now, you are a child of God. And the Bible says, the Bible says this, that when one person, when one sinner repents, when they change their mind and they believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, it says that all of heaven rejoices. There's a party in heaven because of that prayer that you prayed today. And you know, if you want to get in contact with us, we'd love to send you maybe your first Bible. And we've got other literature that can help you and encourage you. We'd love to send it to you, post it through to you. And we just want to be a blessing and rejoice with you over the decision you've made. Listen, have a great week. And we just keep praying. We keep praying in this season and keep in God's word. Like I said, I'm going to continue next week on this. In a few weeks time, we're going to be getting back into James. Faye's got a, a wonderful message that she's going to be preaching from James chapter two. And I've got some more things that we're going to be talking about in James. But over the last few weeks, I've just really wanted to deal with this again. As we go forward into a great future, it's important that we are being led by the Spirit, not by self. And that's what it comes down to. We're not being led by that old self, that voice of self. No, we're being led by the Spirit of God. Church, have a wonderful week. Stay strong in God and keep praising Him and rejoicing. God bless you. Have a great week. God bless. 